guys, this is Katie, co-host of Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Um, I just want to apologize up front with our first episode um, because we actually had to cut our intro short because we had a different name picked out originally and I had searched it and then I researched it afterwards just to make sure we weren't going to have the same name as another podcast and well, it wasn't exactly the, exactly the same. There was another podcast that was very similar, and we just wanted to avoid any kind of confusion. So um, I cut out the part where we mentioned our original name. So it's going to start a little uh, abruptly, um, but I hope you enjoy it, and we've got more episodes coming, and thanks so much. So, I don't know how to start this. Except to say, welcome! It's the first podcast. I'm Katie, and I'm Brittany. We went to college together, and we both like scary, spoopy movies. So that's what we're gonna talk about, and we're gonna talk about two movies. I need to pull up my notes if I can get them. Um, two movies today called Hereditary and Midsummer. Which is how I like to say it. I don't know yeah. about you. But... So her, I guess I'll go with Hereditary. Unless you want to, which one do you want to explain? Hereditary or Midsummer? I'll do Midsummer. That's no problem. Okay, so Hereditary is a story about a family who, it starts out the matriarch of the family. The Tony Collette is the main, I would say the main character in this movie. Her mother dies, and she had a very weird relationship with her mom. And her mom dies, and it starts out as the family grieving over that. And then another death happens very unexpectedly, and it's probably the craziest part of the entire movie. And slowly the family descends from grief into madness. Yeah. Like, and the whole thing is like, can you escape what your family set up for you? Um, yeah. And it's kind of an exploration in grief, of, of grief, of grieving. Um, and and I, guess, I guess now we'll go with spoilers. Uh, basically, like, it starts out, the grandma dies, and you figure out that the grandmother has this, like, group of friends, and they all come to the funeral, but the family doesn't really know them at all. And then the little girl in the family was her favorite child. And then the little girl um, goes to a party with her brother. And it's kind of, it's not funny funny, but it's just shockingly funny. She goes to a party. She's allergic to nuts. They set this up early. So it's a great setup and payoff. And the brother doesn't know that she's eaten nuts and she starts having an allergic reaction. And then she uh, puts her head out of the window when they're trying to drive to the hospital and gets decapitated. And yeah. then after that, it's about grieving over the little girl. And then Tony Collette gets so lost in it that she starts uh, trying to uh, talk to her daughter and uh, through a seance and accidentally welcomes a um, a demon, I guess we would call yeah, it. Yeah, he's kind demon. of like. Yeah, and kind of like um, ancient texts, he Paimon is like Satan's right hand man, essentially. Yeah, okay, I was reading up on it. Like some people say yeah. he's the ninth spirit of hell, some people say the sixth, and some people say the third. 
Yeah. He's always wearing a crown, though. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like Iranian and Persian originally is what it said on Wikipedia because, you know, everybody loves Wikipedia. Um, but basically, the grandmother has set up this entire family to uh, sacrifice themselves so that one of them can be inhabited by Payman. And the little girl is the one that is Payman, but apparently Payman likes a boy's body and not a girl's body. So yeah. they have to decapitate the little girl and then her spirit basically they they kill the dad and the son and then the spirit of the little girl inhabits her brother's body and then becomes payment i think the ending's kind of a little open-ended there's a lot of naked people (laughs) um what i what it is is that so um and there's all these great things where, you know, when you first see the, if you were to go into this movie blinded, you would really think the idea of the hereditary would be like um, Annie, who is Tony Collette's character, is afraid of inheriting some of the issues that she, like, it's, it's very early explained on that, you know, they believe her mother was bipolar. And then and her brother committed suicide. Yeah, because he, because dad starved himself to death. Yeah, and the brother, it's very interesting. It's kind of like, if you if you watch the movie the first time, you think of it as like a throwaway line. If you watch the yeah. movie a second or third time, you're like, oh, shit, it's all right there. Um, the brother yeah. killed himself because he believed his mom was putting people in him. Which she was. Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, the second time I watched that movie, I was like, oh, shit. He was the yeah. first, like, one. And um. so... <laughs> And Annie mentions um, in the group therapy, she she's like, you know, um, she didn't want to be a mom, um, which I feel like, um, yeah. And she she says she doesn't want to be a mom. And she was like, so when I had my son, I kept my mother away from him. But we had, by the time we I had my daughter, I'm in the relationship. So she essentially stuck her talent, talents in um, Charlie, the, the daughter. Yes. Um, but you feel like twice. So... What it was originally was her son that Paymon was supposed to be into. And then maybe Peter when Peter was a small child, but she didn't get the opportunity. So Charlie became the vessel. But of course, right. yeah. So it's it's just but I Payman doesn't like girl bodies for some reason. So yeah, he <laughs> I guess he identifies as a masculine uh spirit. <laughs> right. I was like, I was I didn't know I knew about I knew it was gonna be a scary movie, but I didn't un- I didn't go into it knowing about, I kept myself very blind because I saw the prom, the promotion for it. I was watching, I was going to go see A Quiet Place, which is pretty good. I'm not interested in seeing A Quiet Place too, personally, but the first one was pretty good. But I was going to see that movie and the Hereditary trailer came on and I was like, oh my God, what is this movie? It looks so good. Yeah. It looks so scary because they do the whole, yeah, like they keep popping. Yeah, and I was like, "What is up with that noise? What's going on?" Which is honestly a pretty minor part of the movie, except to signify they do use it to signify when the little girl takes over, when Charlie takes over Peter's body, yeah. he yeah. goes, and you're like, "Oh no!" Which I didn't notice the first time I watched it. I did. I ended up rewatching it before we did this review because I had seen it months ago. Also, by the way, there's a part. Well, I guess I shouldn't go into this yet. I'll go into it later. But there is a part that I didn't realize where it 
liked like the framing until I rewatched it. And I guess it was just so it stuck out so much in my head that I thought it was a much weirder scene than it was. Anyways. Um, but I just wanted, I kept myself in the dark. I didn't watch any reviews. I didn't watch, except like I would watch like the beginning of reviews, like, oh, this movie's good. And then when they started talking about it, I was like, nope, turning it off, turning it off. I really want to see it for myself. And it did not disappoint. I personally thought Tony Collette should have been nominated for an Oscar for her oh performance. Oh my God. Because she, she is a powerhouse in this movie. She's a tour yes. de force. I love her. I have always loved Tony Collette since, oh, yeah. honestly, since Little Miss Sunshine. Oh. But for that, and I go back to the Sixth Sense. I saw the Sixth Sense in theaters with my parents and my brother when I was ten years old, and I always think of her in Sixth Sense as Cole's mom and how great so she I was in that movie. I didn't see it, the Sixth Sense when it was out. I saw it when I was older because my parents are like, I think I was the kind of kid. I like scary <laughs> movies now, but when I was little, I wouldn't sleep if I saw a scary movie. But I'd want to watch it. My parents are like, you don't need to watch this movie right now. But I saw about a boy, which I don't know if you've seen about a boy. Okay, so it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Also, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Like the same person did all the songs for it. And it is like the most listen, like it's so listenable. And it's such a good soundtrack um, by uh, Badly Drawn Boy is is the artist, the musician that does the soundtrack for it. I love it. But she's in that and she plays a daft fucking hippie to quote um Hugh Grant's character yeah and I she's really good in it and she plays a person that has a lot of mental health issues in that movie too and that's why I like Nicholas Holt it's the whole reason I watched uh what is that it was it ended up not being that good but that movie um Warm Heart the oh, zombie movie yeah it's like a Romeo and Juliet but zombie I, movie I bought it at Second and Charles because I went to see it, and it was it was okay. It uh, probably wasn't worth my money, but I like Nicholas Holt because he was really really good in that in About a Boy when he was like twelve. I was like the same age. I think I'm the same age as him, maybe like a couple years older. So like I was like, oh my god, it's the kid from About a Boy. But so I've I've I have watched About a Boy probably twenty times if not more likes it like it's a movie that played a lot in our house but um so I was like Tony Clip she's so good in this movie and I was I I think there's a problem in Hollywood with horror movies there's very few horror movies and I'm trying to say horror because I was taught to say horror in college but it's not horror because it sounds like horror I don't know if you remember telling you that but I remember like my first class was like it's not horror it's a whore it's horror horror so I say it weird um (laughs) But I, horror movies get kind of ignored when it comes to award well, season. It's, I, and I feel like yeah. with this movie, this movie is very um, interesting because the marketing for it was very misleading. And I feel, mm-hmm. very, I feel very blessed. I got to see this movie on opening night um, at our local theater. Um, we saw this movie in Alabama. And, of course, Alabama isn't. Hey again, it's uh, voiceover Katie. Just wanted to uh, pop in and say, unfortunately, uh, Brittany's side of Skype kept cutting her off. So uh, it cut off here and uh, she was trying to explain, I think, that um, we live in Alabama. We live in a larger city in Alabama and um, sometimes we don't always get independent movies or movies that 
most cinema fans would like, um, or you have to travel to go see him, but she was able to see uh, this movie the weekend it opened in uh, Alabama. Okay, back to the podcast. But I think there was a lot of murmuring in the theater because I think people went into this movie and with this true idea of it was going to be a horror movie. And you also thought Charlie was going to be the lead character because they really play yeah. her up in the trailers. Um, and then oh she's, my God. she's decapitated in the first half hour of the movie. Um, yeah, that's the best, yeah. not the best part of the movie, but it's the best part of the plot because you're like, okay, what what is this little girl going to do next? Oh my God, what's yeah. going to happen? And then it's just head off on the, and you're yeah. just like, what happened? This what is going movie- on? remember very vividly sitting in this theater and I you know this movie is a slow burn when you think of the term slow burn hereditary is the movie that comes to mind because it it's an amazing movie but it's it's a lot of dialogue it's a lot of family drama getting to that last 15 minutes and I remember the last 15 minutes you know spoiler alert Tony Collette is on the ceiling. She's crawling around and she's possessed and I very remember a guy go what the fuck like I mean, because who wasn't thinking that? Because I, I remember, I was like, is that... Because they do it very well because they don't make a big... It's in the background. Yeah. So you're you're kind of like... There's the... I think the most visually cool part of it is before she's actually on the ceiling, Peter wakes up and he's kind of in a dreamlike state. Yeah. And he like woke up from a nightmare and you see her crawling like through the air. Like she's not even on something, but she's crawling yes. like in the... Through the what the hell is going on? And you're like, you're not sure if he's still having a dream or not. And then, and this was the part I was going to talk about before, but she eventually is like on the ceiling, taking her own head off. And yes. for some reason, I thought that entire scene took place at a, like a close up of her. And it really doesn't. But that scene was so like ingrained in my brain that when I went to watch it, I was like, where's the close up? And I was like, okay, it never happened. My brain made it up. But it was, like, it's pretty horrific, but it's, like, it's pretty earned because it is a slow burn. And it does shock you at the end because it's such a realistic beginning and everything's played so straight. But really the best horror movies are because, and forgive me, because uh, possession things freak me out. Yeah. I'm going to be real honest. I have watched the beginning of The Exorcist several times and never finished the whole thing. Because I don't like that stuff. I'm I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, I have uh, uh, let's uh, socially I have problems with how the Catholic Church is run, but it still runs deep in like my religiousness. Like I like my faith, but I don't like who run, like how it's run right now because there's a bunch of problems. But like exorcisms are a real thing in Catholicism, yeah. and my mom, who is a nurse and who is extremely level headed totally like thinks it's a possibility and that has always freaked me out so yeah this goes to places that I didn't expect it was going to go to and I was like oh but for some reason I could handle it because it started really really normal but The Exorcist is one of those movies where it's not played like a horror movie it's acted like a drama yeah happens to have horror 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 elements and I think that's why this is good what I like about Hereditary, too, is the rewatchability factor it has to it. So I think the first time you watch the movie, and especially if you go into it 
kind of blind, like no one spoiled anything for you. It's a real shock to the senses. But if you go back and watch it, and, and Midsummer, Midsummer is this way too. When you go back and watch it a second or a third time, there's all these little rewarding details that really mm-hmm. you catch on. So I even caught, there's a moment in the film where um, you don't realize it, but you see the Mel come in and there's like a, um, it's like something like a psychic, like, you know, thing. So in other words, they were, the, the cult was trying to get Annie for the Mel first before they had Joan approach her at the therapy meeting. So it's just like stuff like that. Um, that's really, really cool to rewatch it. And when we go back to the beheading scene, the thing that sticks with me about that scene is, and it's not, so you're going to think this, this is probably so weird. So after Peter jumps out the window, he jumps out the window, you see his body, and you hear the mm-hmm. thud of the head. You hear the thud of the head hit the ground after you know she's decapitated herself. And right. I think that's the most chilling thing. Every time I watch that scene, I get cold chills. Oh, yeah. Just hearing Yes. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Because I, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, and her body hit the floor. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Um, okay, so the car decapitation scene, I found this, I feel like I found this either on Wikipedia or IMDb, but it's actually based on a real-life event in Marietta, Georgia. In 2005, where a man accidentally decapitated his friend while they were driving home. And, like, his friend was intoxicated and stuck his head out the window and he accidentally decapitated him. And then he actually did drive home with the headless corpse. And, like, he fell asleep in the car and somebody with their two-year-old found the body. I was like, oh, my God. Like, oh, shit. That I mean, I can see that happening, though, because he's just, like, so he's he's in shock and he just drives home. That's probably the worst part of the whole decapitation scene of a little girl. It's like, one, a little girl just got decapitated. But two, like, he just, he, I mean, I guess he's in shock. But I guess you can't save someone if they've already been decapitated. So I guess you just got, like, he just drives home. But he doesn't wake up his parents. He just goes to bed. Yeah. And then his mom finds it. It's horrific. And then you see, like, the little girl's head and there's all these ants crawling all over. It's awful. Yeah. Um, I think that was a very, that just that screenshot of you can hear Annie's wailing in the distance, but yeah. you're seeing Charlie's severed head. And that was just, I, I, I mean, there's so much, there's so much brilliance to this movie. I was even thinking about the opening shot because the opening shot, when I watched oh, it for yes. you know, our third time, it was so, it really encapsulates. So, you know, Annie, um, and of course, Katie, you know, this scene's the movie, but Annie is, a doll maker, or well, like a, a miniature maker, miniature maker, and um, you you, she's like you a get artist. Yeah, she's a, yeah, she's like a miniature artist, and you get the feeling like on multiple rewatches, you're like, okay, like it gives her control over things. She she doesn't have any control in her life, and I think this is the real tragedy of this movie is that these people are born to be vessels and to be sacrifices for this God. Like this is what they're born for. That is the hereditary. So she makes these miniatures to try to have control of her life. And you even see the scene, she details the decapitation scene. She has no control over that event, but it gives her control over that event. Um, And I think it's like little brilliant details that um, it's such a wonderful movie, but it's, it's such a turnoff for people too. And they they use it for a really good framing device because yes. it starts off as a miniature of her house and then it goes into the actual scene and it's very seamless. 
And then, like, they use it to transition scenes, and it ends with a miniature version of what's actually happening. Yeah. It's it's very cool. Like, he he uses it from start to finish, and I think it's it's a nice framing device, and it's a cool visual. Like, visually, it's very cool. Um, But, yeah, I felt really bad for, like, it's kind of... It, you know, on the surface level, it's you can't escape being the vessel your mom. Because her mom leaves her a note that says, like, the note was the creepiest. Like, oh, it's going to be, I'm so sorry for all the grief you're going to go through. But it's going to be worth it, sweetie. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what the hell does that mean? I mean, and she doesn't know. Like, she didn't tell anybody yeah. about this. Well, and then what, what, it what, turns what, into, like, can can I escape my genetics? Can I escape yeah. mental illness? Like, there's a, there's a bigger picture than yeah. just can these specific people escape this fate? But it's also, can we escape genetics? Can we escape our hereditary traits? And sometimes you can't. Yeah. And I think that's the real underlying tragedy is that you, you can't like, you know, you, you can, and that's where you feel um, Annie's struggle. The entire movie is that she is trying to fight and it echoes back because, you know, she has the conversation where, the paint thinner, which I think is one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, too. Oh, yeah. She, she talks about, she, you know, she she sleepswalks, and she woke up one night, and she had doused her children in paint thinner, and she had lit the match. And, you know, she's like, I was sleepwalking, I was sleepwalking. But when she has the dream about confronting Peter about how she never wanted to be a mom, she imagines herself being in that paint thinner. So you see where there was action she almost took to end their lives just to get out of this what what would eventually happen with him being the vessel and her being a sacrifice there was all these little things leading up to and you know that's i think once again it's it's almost shakespearean in a way or almost maybe like a greek tragedy there was no way for her to get out of it it was she was just on this track and there there was no getting off of it and i mean that's really sad when you think yeah. about it i think i think the saddest part is speaking of greek tragedies the scene with her husband so her husband's name is steve which i feel bad for steve he's played by gabriel byrne who i love gabriel byrne ever since i saw um the winona writer um little women i've watched that movie a zillion it's one of my favorite movies um ever but he plays the professor in that and he gabriel byrne is one of those people that he always gives a solid performance but I don't always, like, I feel like I don't see him for years doing a movie, and then he just pops up in a movie, and I'm like, oh, awesome, I love him. He, I didn't even know he was in this movie until I started watching it. I was like, oh, it's the guy from Little Women, cool. Um, <laughs> but his character, so there's a scene with her and him, and she's trying to destroy a notebook. Um... I can't yeah. remember if it was her mom's notebook or her, her notebook. I think it was a notebook Charlie's. where she was it's, trying to communicate with Charlie um, yeah, through a it's thing. Charlie's, it's Charlie's sketchbook. That's what it is, yes. So she's trying to destroy it, and every time she tries to burn it, she lights on fire. And so she stops doing it, and she asks him to do it. And he, this is another weird thing. So her husband is her psychologist, or is a psychologist, mm-hmm. and I think it's implied, or they might actually say it, I can't remember specifically, but he was her psychologist, and then they got married. So, which is kind of weird, because that's never, like, a good thing when you're married to your psychologist, you're not really supposed to treat your own family members, but, yeah. what you know, so that, that's one thing, 
but she is trying to sacrifice herself because she thinks if she burns this notebook, she'll sacrifice herself and will save her family, Peter and Steve. And Steve is like, you've gone effing crazy. Yeah. And then you get this, oh, this is a good setup. You get He gets this call about um, her mom's tomb being desecrated, but they don't give you all the details. And he just doesn't tell her anything because he doesn't want to upset her. And then he's like, well, I don't want to tell you, but are you the one that dug up your mom's corpse? And, like, because he it, thinks it's hers. Yeah. She, he thinks yeah. that she's just completely snapped. And so, but she begs him to burn the book. And she thinks that she's going to save her family if he burns the book because she'll burn up and then it'll be over. But instead, she she gets him to burn the book and he lights on fire. Or no, she throws it in the fire. I'm sorry, she throws it in the fire and then it burns him alive. Yeah. So they've sacrificed, which is another weird thing because why did all the women technically, not all the women, but like the men died and all the spirits of the women kind of lived on. I guess Tony Collette and the mom didn't, but like yeah. Charlie's the one that survives technically, spiritually, yeah. even though Peter's body survives. But I'm pretty sure we can agree that Peter's gone. Yeah, spiritually. Peter, Peter yeah, Peter, I think is dead, and then Charlie's host is literally in him for sure. Yeah, which is weird because I was kind of confused why. So if the the spirit, <laughs> it's very confusing. It's a little confusing. I'm kind of glad they didn't over explain it. They explained it a little bit, but they didn't over explain it. But so Payman is, is I guess, possessing Charlie from day one, yeah. I'm guessing. But he doesn't like the body he's in. Exactly. But then Charlie possesses Peter. So I'm like, so is it Payman or is it Charlie? Or is Payman just like kind of hanging out in the back of uh, Charlie's psyche and they're kind of sharing? I think that's or has there never been a Charlie? Has I think there never it- a Charlie? I think you've hit the nail on the head where, like, Payman has always been a part of Charlie, and maybe Charlie hasn't fully understood it, but um, I think Payman and Charlie are essentially one and the same, and that's why Charlie is a little weird, like, why she feels like she can cut a bird's head off with a pair of scissors, or why, you know, yeah, why there's, like, a, um, there's some, and, of course, we as the audience think it's some kind of, like, mental thing like maybe she's just not all there but no it's, it's a demon's been inhabiting her body probably her whole life so yeah which and and this may be because i got really into dissociative identity disorder recently because uh anthony padilla did a youtube video about it i understand it more but i went down a rabbit hole lately of multiple per- of did where it makes sense now I, at first i was like i don't understand this disorder at all like but anyways but traumatic events make people with DID create alter alters or alternate personalities to take over for them when they go through a traumatic event so a lot of times it's like sexual trauma and stuff like that so like you'll have amnesia so I wonder is the Charlie Charlie Payman thing like uh DID like is it like he's a a back alternate Cause she is pretty young. She's like eight, right? I think no, she's like no, eight, no, maybe no. ten. I think, I think she's meant to be like thirteen or fourteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. They didn't. Re- I don't know if they even gave her her age, honestly. But so, uh, what I was saying I was like, because maybe it's just because I've been really into researching DID because, yeah. Basically, there's a YouTuber that I don't want to say somebody's pretending they have a mental disorder or 
a mental health issue, but she like it it happened like two days after this video came out with where this other YouTuber was interviewing people that actually have DID and are, are diagnosed by a psychologist with it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she's like an attention getter kind of YouTuber and she was like, I have multiple personalities. She's like, I have both. And it's like, but it's not both. They just renamed it. You can't have both. You can have it's the same thing. Anyways, I wonder if it's like that. Like maybe Charlie would have amnesia. Yeah. And Heyman took over. And, really- and then that could be a whole thing where it is a mental illness and it's not yeah. anything supernatural. So, but I mean, I think they imply there's this weird light flare that they do throughout yeah. the movie and that's when Peyton. bad things happen. Yeah. So, which they also use, which I don't want, I want to talk about this movie in a different episode, but in Suspiria, they do the same thing when, during a specific part when they cast a spell. Yeah. Which is like, oh, it's like, it's like very like natural looking, like it's like a lens flare kind of thing. It could happen in real life and probably just be like, oh, what was that weird light? But like, it's just like the hint of, of supernatural stuff. Yeah. But I... I believe the light flare is payment, and the reason I say that is because when Peter jumps and you see his body on the ground, you see the light flare go over, mm-hmm. and then it, it dissolves into him, which yes. makes me believe that that's payment just hanging around, <laughs> waiting for his chance right. to get in there. So, which is sad. I feel really sad for Peter. Yeah. Also, like, how is he going to explain all the headless people to like the police? I guess he has a whole cult to clean it up for him. Yeah. And oh, that was another thing. I was looking up. I have a scene where he's in class. Like the first scene he's in class, they're talking about Heracles, which is yeah. also Hercules. Same person, but you know, Greek and Roman mythology, they would rename gods. So Heracles is Hercules, but Heracles, I think, is the Greek name for Hercules, I want to say. And Hercules is the Roman name. Um, but they're talking about, I don't even know which play they're talking about. I couldn't figure out exactly which one, but some Greek tragedy or Roman tragedy about Heracles. And there apparently was some kind of Heracles cult in ancient Rome or ancient Greece. And, uh, he's like, you know, if you think of Hercules, he's like a very masculine Greek hero. And also in like, I mean, obviously not the Disney version, but in the, uh, like, Greek tragedy, he killed his children with yes. Megara, his first wife. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that is correct. Yeah. There's a lot of levels in there. I'm like, oh, my God, all the kids, the kids both die. And then also, like, it's a masculine thing. The whole reason that they're killing all these people is because Payman wants Peter's body and not Charlie's body. Yeah, which is but then there's a whole thing where they have to decapitate three, three generations of one family. So yeah. I wonder if that was like a an honorable win for that lady, like the grandma, or if it was like a like you oh, got yeah. the short straw. No, <laughs> it really was an honorable win because in that last scene, you even see her referred to as Queen Ellen. Um, like it's like they have it as like queen and like you see the pictures, the Polaroids and they're like showering her in what looks like gold coins. Um, so I mean, mm-hmm. no, these people revered, um, Ellen, the mother, the grandmother as like their queen of their cult because of what she was giving up to let the cult thrive essentially. So I wonder why they let her die a natural death and then decapitate 
get decapitated her and then killed everybody else. I was like, could you not just, I guess he just didn't want to wait. I don't know. Which I, is- I was, I don't understand pagan cults that, I mean, I find them very interesting, but, and I mean, I get it. Like Catholicism's kind of weird. So, I mean, it's, it's very weird religion. So I understand if people find my religion weird, but I, so I don't want to like religion shame on anyone, but I think whenever you have to decapitate people physically in real life, that may be a reason to maybe not belong to that religion. I mean, I'm just saying like, yeah. <laughs> might but, be too far, but you know, and that's the thing though. It's like, if the cults ancient since the beginning of time, we've seen different cults that would sacrifice. And that's just something that came with the territory. Now we're, we're a modern civilized society. It seems very barbaric, but just thousands of years ago, it wasn't considered barbaric at all. It was considered natural for crops to grow even. True, which I think would be a great segue into Midsommar. Oh, yes. Because that's like the same thing. So what are we going to rate Hereditary? E for, well, we're D for decapitation? Yeah, Hereditary is D for decapitation and uh, S for slow burn. And <laughs> I, would, I would call the acting definitely Meryl Streep. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if it's quite a Daniel Day Lewis because it definitely didn't. I still don't understand why this movie didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, uh, at least for performance. Like, I find it very annoying that they didn't nominate them because she's just, I don't know, Tony Collette just gives a tour de force. And honestly, yeah. both of the kids do a pretty good performance, too, which it's always hard to find kids that are good performers. Um, but I would say that I would say the gore is pretty intense in this movie. Yeah. And um, I do want to bring it up because me and my husband actually got into a heated debate over what movie is gorier and if is it Midsummer or is it Hereditary? And um, I actually posed this question on Facebook. I feel like yes, Hereditary, I is my, Hereditary is my answer, but it seems like the overwhelming answer is actually Midsummer from the general public's point of view. So unfortunately, right here is where both I got a phone call and Skype decided to stop recording for us. So here we are back again. We might be interrupted because it kept closing. We're finally just record. We were trying to record video and audio, but apparently Skype doesn't want to work with the video because yeah. probably everybody's Skyping with their relatives because everybody's separated right now which it's a sucky time but isn't it a great time to talk about horror movies it is which is which is gonna bring us back into midsummer Midsummer. Midsummer. uh so talking about isolation and isolated people yes and uh midsummer is of course ari astor's sophomore debut and it is incredible um to give basic um, synopsis of the story, uh, there is a young woman named Danny. She suffers from anxiety and panic attacks. Um, and uh, very early in the movie, her her sister commits suicide and kills her parents along with her. Um, so Danny loses her entire family um, pretty much within the first seven minutes in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So she's recovering from that and her she has a boyfriend named Christian, and very early on in the movie, Christian is just kind of like, yeah, I don't think this is working out with me and Danny, blah, 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 blah. He's basically a fuckboy, and I'm sorry, there's probably going to be people who have conflicting opinions of that, um, but no, I feel I like... I call him a fuckboy. Yeah. 
and so he kind of believes he's being the nice guy and he stays with Danny because, of course, who would want to be that person that breaks up with their significant other after their whole family is killed? Um, but he is an anthropology major. And so he, you know, they're, they decide that they're going to this festival and he doesn't initially tell Danny about it. But then when she finds out, She's understandably upset because he didn't even tell her. And so he pity invites her. Also, it's happening during her birthday. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so he he pity invites her to go. And so she goes. And that's the film. Basically, they go to this festival. um, And it's, um, I believe it's in Sweden, right? That's where the movie's taking place? Okay. Yeah, that's where it's, it's based in Sweden. But actually, apparently, they filmed in Hungary. Huh. Ironic, because I guess I, it's probably cheaper. I mean, yeah. I don't know about Sweden, uh, but I bet it was, but apparently it was cheaper, but they filmed it in Hungary. So at least they were still, like, in Europe, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and they're supposed to be in New York, apparently. I didn't really get the feeling that they were in New York, but I, I thought, either. but apparently they're supposed to be in New York City, and her parents are supposed to be in Minnesota, and... Huh. Yeah, I know. I was like, okay, but they filmed all the American stuff in Utah, which I was like, yeah, that looks like Utah. I mean, maybe I've seen a couple too many episodes of Sister Wives or something. But I yeah. was like, yeah, that looks like Utah. That doesn't look like Minnesota. You see those opening scenes and everything is because it's snowing and you and I guess maybe that's why I didn't it with New York but I, I can see it too just because of the apartments and how they're set up and everything um yeah but yeah they yeah. go they go to this festival and that's where the movie really t- uh kicks off um is that they're at this festival and weird shit starts to happen because it's a pagan cult so <laughs> yeah like you it's very the thing about this movie is there are so first of all there is a tapestry at the beginning of the movie before anything else happens that tells you exactly what the movie is going to be like and tells you basically the whole plot line yes but and there's so there's so many like wordplay things like for instance they like they'll say something and it sounds like an offhand like joke but then that will actually happen to somebody later on the movie and you're like what the fuck that's so twisted it's like stuff you would say like that everyone's like haha like oh don't kill yourself over something or you know something that someone would make an offhand like over exaggerated comment but no that's actually what's going to happen like I think the best part the best one I found not the best but there's a guy called Mark so there's there's Christian and he has a friend what is his name I can't remember his name his friend who's the anthropology major with him who they there's him and another guy are kind of competing anthropology majors they both want to go for their masters and they're trying to pick their project for their thesis and uh one has already picked midsummer rituals and christian kind of like piggybacks onto that because he's unoriginal and um then they have a friend mark who's like a total dick and Mark is just like the comic relief the whole time. But in the be- they go to the, the festival and there's all these kids and they're like running around and he's like, oh, what are they playing? And their friend Pele, who's the guy that brings them all over there, is like, oh, they're playing Skin the Fool. And yeah. then 
he actually gets skinned alive because he's yeah. a fool. And I was like, oh my God, like all this stuff is set up and like paid off really okay. well. I I don't know if you heard uh, this theory, which fascinates me because um, when we think about if you if we're going to compare and contrast uh, Hereditary and Midsummer, we think of these women being on this trajectory towards their faiths, and there's a lot of people because of Pele's relationship with Danny and some of the things he says to Danny, like you know, um, especially the the mention he has of her, he talks to her, you know. Um, and he's kind of the one, I think, that invites her a little bit. Like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, oh, he, oh, yeah. he's like, I'm so glad you're coming. Yeah, exactly. And there is a lot of people that um, believe that maybe this whole thing with her family and her sister was set up by the cult. Um, I'm not sure if I believe yeah, that. I'm I don't really sure. think that. Yeah. Personally, because I don't think. It doesn't seem... Okay, because here's the thing about their ritual. So the whole thing revolves around, one, the number nine. So they have they have a summer, a midsummer festival every single year. But only every 90 years do they do this specific one. And they sacrifice nine people. The gods... They don't really say a specific god, I don't think. It's just... They do say a couple gods, but, like, it's more of, like, a, a – I, I feel like it's more of a polytheistic kind of thing than a monotheistic. Yeah. It's more like Mother Earth and Father Time or, or whatever. <laughs> they don't say that. But, like, more of, like, that kind of feeling. Like, more of nature than, like, yeah. a single god. But there's – so there's, like, nine people they're going to sacrifice. And some of them volunteer, and they do bring outsiders. But then yeah. also some of them – like, they don't have to kill all the outsiders. They do end up, spoiler alert, they do end up killing all the outsiders but Danny, but they don't have to because she chooses the last person. So, exactly. like, you know, it, it doesn't seem, like, Hereditary seemed like it was perfectly set up. This was going to happen to them all along. This seems more of a choice on her part. And I think the three guys were always meant to be sacrifices. The, yeah. the couple, I really, there's another couple. So the weird thing is, I don't know if I was watching it for the second time and I was kind of confused because, so they go to um, their first stop when they get, and it's like this big field before they actually get to the village and everyone takes a bunch of psychedelic mushrooms and they go on a trip together. And um, there's a lot of young people and I thought... When I first started watching it, there's the, f oh wait, one, two, three, four, four people, right? Danny and the three guys are brought yep. by Pele from America. And then there's another British couple that's brought by his best friend, which I cannot remember his name. It was like Olka or old, it was something yeah. very, something extremely Swedish. Pele, I can remember, but the other is like Ulf or Ufa. I, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm not Swedish yeah. and I don't understand Swedish names. I'm sorry. Um, but um, there's a, his one of his best friends growing up has this British couple that he brings too. But then it looked like there were a bunch of other people coming, like they had brought other outsiders. But then towards the end of the movie, I, they don't like name any other outsiders. So either people left, people escape, or were, were they just all... Those were the only outsiders they brought in. Only those six people. 
And I thought it was only those six. I could be wrong, but I thought it was just like, you know, like Pele had brought the five of them and then he had brought the two of them. And they're like, they're like brothers. They're not like biologically related, but they're brothers within the cult, I guess, yes. because they were raised together. Um, yeah. But I think it That's was a just whole that thing. Group. Yeah. Yeah. Because the cult is very um pleasant like everyone's really nice it's un- unlike hereditary where they seem nice and then you're like oh shit these people are crazy these people even at towards the end like they seem so sweet and you're like why are they like i get why they're doing this because it's a like a very age-old tradition yeah and it's worked apparently the last couple thousand years or whatever but i'm like i don't I don't know how these people are so nice and they're just that sacrificing people. But yeah. I do want to talk about the first scene because to me, I think it's maybe the most powerful. And I think that's why people think, I don't know, a lot of people think Hereditary is more shocking than Midsummer, even though Midsummer was advertised as being more shocking. But Midsummer starts off with a very graphic scene of death because they show you her parents and her sister, yeah. like their dead bodies and stuff. And I will say, Florence Pugh is maybe one of the best ugly ugly criers in the business. That girl knows how to realistically cry, which a lot of actors don't nowadays. A lot of people just put some drops in their eyes. They're like, oh, I'm crying. But man, that girl, you can feel the pain through the screen. Yeah. Like, she is a great wailer. I was like, this is how I cry when I'm upset. Like, she's just got those, like, like those heaving, just like, like, yeah. I can't even breathe or talk. And she's really... I don't know well, what she had to tune into to do that, because that is some heaviness. Well, um, it brought up the first thing, too. And, um, you know, that's something that Ari plays a lot with subconscious imagery, where you see her sister's face multiple times in that death, in that kind of death state throughout the movie. It's hidden in the yeah. trees. So, I mean, you really... I I always tell people who have seen Midsummer Hereditary... And um, you can disagree with me, but I feel like there is, I feel like Midsummer is a lot more like a fairy tale um, in a lot yes. of ways. Like, it's very fairy tale, and especially the ending is very fairy tale, but you see that grief and that trauma follow Danny throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And she's, she's, ironically, she's ironically a psychology major, so <laughs> she's like studying that and she's going through her own psychology. And I mean, like, I think I don't think it was planned to go back to that point, but I do think Pele or P, however you say his name. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not Swedish. Please don't come for me, Swedish people. Um, very sorry. I love PewDiePie. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't understand. Oh wait, what was I trying to say? I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, so I don't think it was planned, but I think when Pele heard about what happened to her parents he understood that he could manipulate her because she he also lost his parents so he's like i know what it's and basically like pele and i don't know if his parents got murdered by the cult or if no. they they said he says they got burnt up yes think about like, it. They, they burned what? They burn the they burn them at the well no I, well that's the thing about the cult every ninety years is that the same because I was wondering if his parents were sacrificed in a but similar maybe way they only burn, maybe they only do nine maybe they only bring outsiders every ninety years but maybe they still burn people every midsummer yeah. I don't know yeah. but his parents die in a fire 
Mm-hmm. That's all he says. And you're like, at the end, you're like, oh, because they burn all the sacrifices alive. And you're well, not all, some of them are dead already, but some of them are alive. And I was like, what the hell? Like, did they? But anyways, but he's like, I lost my parents, too. I understand. So he and he already knows that because he's friends with her boyfriend. So he already knows that her boyfriend isn't a great boyfriend to her and is just waiting for the opportunity to, like, break up with her. Almost said murder her. That was, <laughs> but break up with her. And um, so I think he understands that he can very easily take advantage of her fragile mental state. Now, I, I don't, her sister was already bipolar. So I don't really want to say, I don't think it's implied that the cult was like, yeah, you should kill yourself and your parents. I think that was a lucky coincidence because I think he was always going to bring the boys, but the, the uh, May Queen is chosen kind of at random. I don't think it would have been anything. I think he was going to sacrifice himself with his brother if if he hadn't won the May Queen. Because that's yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Danny ends up becoming the May Queen and May- accepted May- into this family of murderers, but family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's uh, attracted to her too because right after she becomes that May Queen, um, he kisses her and it's like, it's in he like grabs her and kisses her so mm-hmm. i think like in that moment he is like oh yeah like you know this is happening and uh and it really gives danny the family that i think she essentially lost it's like her regaining her family and i mean at the end at the end of the movie she even almost has like this glow to her yeah. um it's like very that interesting the way it looks cool yeah, that power it, outfit is cool, indeed, but looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the, um, all the, the, um, because they wanted to have a cult film. All these, all these costumes were actually handmade. Um, mm-hmm. which is really she still cool. has that dress, by the way. I saw she made a bunch of. I can't remember her Snapchat or Instagram messages, but I saw it on YouTube. She still has it for Halloween this. And she was, like, making a really silly video of her in that costume, which I was like, that's cool that they let her keep that. Her, um, the May Queen dress, not the, not the flower dress, but when she dances the dance. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, I have a weird kind of respect for this culture, because they seem to be really nice people. They take care of orphans. It's very commune-like, but it also teaches you not to trust communes because, like, the Manson family was a commune, too. Yeah, they all took care of each other, and then they murdered a bunch of people in cold blood. So, like, I don't know. I never trust people that seem too nice, personally. Yeah. But it is, it is like, they they seem like, if, if you have to be in a pagan cult, they seem like the pagan cult to be in. Yeah. Because they are very sweet people. And they're very welcoming. And they all, I don't know, I feel like maybe Pele was like, texted everybody before he got there. was like, hey, I got our new May Queen because this girl's cool. Because everyone's like, I'm so, ex-. like, when they meet the the older guy, like, there's two heads, like, two elders. It's like, it's a female and a male. And the male guy greets them all and they come in. And he, like... When he says, I'm so happy you guys are here, he looks dead in the eye to Danny and basically ignores everybody for a second. And he's like, oh, I mean, you guys too. And it's like, oh, okay. They all yeah. really like her. So yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it could be a setup, but I didn't really get that feeling. I even think uh, when you're when we're thinking about this cult in a sense of community is when 
she finds out Kristen cheated on her, which is the one thing I will say about Christian. I know there is some arguments about this scene. Yeah, that the whole movie he's attracted to the redhead girl. But they did drug him essentially. Um and so he got date yeah. raped, y'all. Yeah, which is what I which is what I feel like too, because I was like, Yeah, sure he's been attracted to her, but the actual scene where there's the the mating fertility ritual, he was drugged before that. So I do feel like he was essentially raped. Yeah. And um so yeah, he in, in Danny's eyes it may have been he was cheating, but that's not actually what was going on in the scene. But I go back to that scene with Danny when she's like she throws up and she has such this visceral reaction. She's so upset and she's sobbing. And the, the women try to share in that anguish with her. They all start sobbing. So you really feel like the cult itself, it even shares the emotions like of what the other members are going through. Um, We're recording again. Sorry, we got a snafu again. Um, I definitely think Christian was date raped i mean i do think he does make the conscious choice to take the drugs yeah and she literally says you will have no inhibitions and he's like sure so i mean i definitely think yes he made a conscious choice to give in to the possibility of cheating on his girlfriend but also you know he may have changed his mind if he hadn't been on drugs too yeah Um, oh but let's go ahead no, I was about to say, and I think part of it is also, I feel like it was his ambition to try to assimilate, assimilate with the cult, too, that he was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, if this is what you do, I'll do it. Cool. Like, you know, yeah. and I, I think that was another very big, um, it was a very big mess up on his part, because, of course, everything that he did eventually led to him getting killed, too. Um, yeah. Which they, they did give her a choice. Basically, they have eight people already chosen for the final sacrifice at the end. And then Danny ends up winning the dance competition, which that seemed a little fishy because I still don't understand how she won, but she ended up winning the dance competition to be the May queen. And she's also taken drugs by the way. Yeah. Willingly, but still she's also on drugs. And so she, they basically like separate her from her boyfriend and then have her boyfriend have sex with this redheaded girl that's been flirting with him the whole time, who is apparently 15 or 16, which is kind of gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because he's definitely in college. And um, she sees him, and they're like, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like they wanted her to see it because the girl that's her friend who befriends her is like, oh, don't look at it. No, you don't want to see that. But she doesn't really stop her. <laughs> And yeah. so then they all kind of, like, she's, like, grieving, which yeah. is kind of, like, she's been trying to hold in her grief the whole movie. Like, there's a scene, she's on the plane, and she's starting to cry, and she just keeps, she keeps leaving every time she starts grieving about her family. And it's, like, I don't know if you've ever gone through a grieving period, but there, it's, when you can grieve in some in front of somebody and them not judge you, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, like, grief bad things happen at the worst timing you know yeah. so like she keeps like starting to have a panic attack starting to like she doesn't really let go of her grief because she keeps like going into the bathroom and she doesn't like express it in front of anyone so these girls all start like grieving with her and they yeah. all start imitating her breathing and, and her that crying was the, 
that was the scene I was talking about. And I think when we lost uh, track, I said that mm-hmm. to me, that one of the scenes that sticks out the most in the movie, because it really, um, we were talking about the cult and you go, they really seem like nice people. And that's what, you know, they're, it's like they kill people. Yeah. But, you know, they seem like nice people. Like you said, they raise orphans <laughs> and, you know, um, and that's mm-hmm. where that's, that scene is what hits home to me because they try to share in her grief. Um, yes. And they is, do share in everybody's grief because they do that in probably the most shocking scene, I would say, of the whole movie is uh, the, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, but I'm probably going to mispronounce it, Ada Stupa. Yeah. Yeah. Where they, uh, basically they have, what we say? I'm sorry, did you have a thought to finish there? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was, I was just going on about the group. So yeah, no, the the uh, elder suicide essentially. I know exactly yes. what you're talking so, about. Yeah. So they, which apparently is a real thing. Yes. But they haven't practiced it for it. Nobody's done it in a really, really, really long time. And apparently, it was usually due to like financial strain or like lack of supplies for the group. But Ooh, basically, yeah. but honestly. They totally talk about this, and this is a weird reference, but have you ever seen the, the, it's not, it's like live action, but it's puppets, dinosaurs from the 90s? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. There's a whole episode where, like, the grandma is going to go to the tar pits, and I don't know if she does in the end, but basically it's like, old people instead of just dying of natural causes they jump off a cliff and well, suicide and you actually basically. have that you have that in different cultures around the world i forgot the japanese word for it but the japanese um it, it was an ancient thing they don't do it anymore very obviously um but you would abandon your elders in the wilderness and it was to help the family and so i mean i think the idea of this i don't i, I don't know it's very interesting to see the Asian aspect of abandonment versus, I guess, our, our, you know, our Europeans, where it's actual suicide, where they essentially yeah. take their lives into their own hands is very interesting. Yeah. So there's the, the weirdest part of it. This is probably the worst part, because if you're watching the movie, they do not, it, they don't really hint that that's going to happen unless you happen to know Swedish and you yeah. know what out of stupa means. Um, but the, I can't remember his name, but the the friend who is the anthropology major who Christian piggybacks on his... Is it, like, Josh or something? It might be Josh. I know you're talking um, about the actor who plays Cheaty in The Good Place, too. Yes, and I cannot remember the character's name, though. Um, but he, he um, knows what's going to happen because... They're like, oh, hey, what's happening tomorrow? And Pele told, tells him it in um, in Swedish. And then he doesn't tell anybody. He's like, oh, you'll just have to wait and see. And I'm like, why did he not tell anybody? Is it because he's just sick and twisted? And, oh, his name is Josh. I had to IMDb it. It is Josh. Thank God I remembered it. Because I was like, I don't know if I remember. Anyways, so Josh knows what's going to happen. Pele knows what's going to happen. And then Pele's brother who brought the British people, what is his name? Not Ulf, but what is his name? Inga. Yeah. No, not Inga. Maybe. I don't know. His his brother also knows what's going to happen, but doesn't tell anybody. And they just like they all go out to this cliff and the and the old people like 
they cut their hands and they put their blood on a rock and then they uh just jump off a cliff and the first person does it and she dies instantly which is the goal and everyone's fine with it except for all the tourists who are all freaking out because who wouldn't freak out if you just saw someone jump to their death like that's horrifying um and they're trying to explain it to them and one of them screams when the second person jumps and it kind of distracts him and he misses the mark and then they have to beat his head with a giant hammer yes (laughs) and it's awful and it's it's very realistic gore and it is it is extremely graphic and it is hard i mean i don't know i couldn't stop looking at it because it was so horrifying but then once that happens there's worse stuff that happens in the rest of the movie but because that's so shocking i think most people kind of it's kind of like hereditary with the little girl getting decapitated you're like okay we're at this point but then it kind of quiets down for a little bit because then people just start disappearing and they keep making up excuses like the british couple is like we're gonna leave and then like the boyfriend leaves without the girlfriend and the girl's like why the fuck did he leave without me and then she disappears and they're like i guess they both found a ride and everyone keeps making up all the cult people like oh yeah we got her back to the train station you're like Oh, okay. And then, because I mean, who thinks, oh, my friends disappeared? They must have been ritualistically murdered by a cult. Like, you know, what yeah. goes yeah. into it? Anything thinking that. So they do it so well, and they're such friendly people. You're like, of course. Um, yeah. And then, like, then, like, the Josh gets hit over the head because he's he's sneaking into like there's like a sacred text that they're like you can see it but please do not take a photograph of this This is very sacred to us and he sneaks in takes a photo anyways because he obviously doesn't respect anybody and somebody is wearing his friend's mark's face a la texas chainsaw massacre and hits him over the head and that was another funny thing funny ironic because mark accidentally pees on an ancestral tree like basically they have it they burn their dead and they put all their ashes on this tree that's dead it's like a giant dead tree that like plants are growing on and he pees on it because he doesn't know and then there's a guy that keeps looking at him and he and he tells his friend he's like that guy's gonna kill me for peeing on the tree and apparently that is the guy that kills him in the mask so, like, yeah, he actually does. Everything people say is going to happen, like, as a joke. It actually happens. And, like, the redheaded girl, there's also a weird, the tapestry thing. There's a second tapestry in this thing. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, yeah. symbols. Like, there's, like, everything's decorated in these really pretty paintings. And, like, like there's a bear on fire, and that's how Christian dies. He dies in a bear suit and a fire. And yeah. then there's yeah. this tapestry of this girl. Oh, it's, it's really gross. Cutting her pubic hair putting it in a pie, then taking menstrual blood, putting it in a drink, and feeding both of them to someone she loves, and then he falls in love with her, and they have sex. There's a tapestry of that. Yeah, That's and, what happens to Christian and the redheaded girl. It show, it's shown backwards, too. So when you're looking at the images, you have no idea what you're looking at. You're like, okay, this is weird. Is that a vagina? And then it's like, when you go back and watch it a second time, and you're like, holy shit, that's literally what happens. Oh, I know. I knew what... I got the tapestry the first time, I don't know if it's, I, mean, I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, that's gross. I'm like, and I was like, I bet that's what that creepy little redheaded girl is going to do. 
for some reason. I don't know why. Everything else I had to rewatch and see, but for some reason that was one of the things that I was like, oh, that's definitely what's going to happen. Because that, that I can see that little girl looks like a creepy. She looks like, you know, in Harry Potter where, uh, which I can't remember which girl it is, but when the girls start trying to give Ron love potions, like she gave me that vibe. Like you can try to like trick somebody into loving you because you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. again, she's 15. And also, I don't know why the first time this didn't really bother me. I think I didn't realize what they said the first time. But the second time I watched it, Pele's like, oh, that's Maya, and she just hit the age of you're allowed to have sex. Not not she wants to date you. She's now allowed to have sex. Yeah. So their whole, yeah. like, their whole community seems so open and welcoming and free, but they're actually extremely rigid in their rules. Like, until the age of 18, you're a child. After 18 until, I think it's like 36, you're a young adult. 36 to 54, you're a working adult. And then from 54 to 72, I think, you are an elderly person. So, like, it's very structured. They control when you have sex. Christian has to have a meeting with the elder before he has sex with Maya. Like, it's very, like, it's, like, all there. But they, they show you it so smoothly and slowly that you can understand why... Danny falls for them and it really is it's it's supposed to be apparently the the original script was presented to Ari Aster like I don't think he wrote the original script like the first treatment it was just like the horror movie aspect of this pagan cult in this beautiful summer like there's never any darkness so it's everything's in bright full sunlight it's absolutely gorgeous there's flowers everywhere and when Danny gets closer to nature like, the flowers start, like, breathing with her and stuff. So it's, like, this oneness. Like, she's becoming one with the cult and life and everything. It's very beautiful. But he added this whole relationship-breaking-down metaphor. And that's it's very similar to Hereditary because that's a metaphor for grief. This is a metaphor for a relationship falling apart. And apparently he had gone through an ugly breakup before this. Yeah. So yes. it, they fight. Like I, I don't know. I don't mean the relationship I'm in hasn't fallen apart, but I have had fights in tough times where it's just these like you're trying to have a conversation, but then like you just like give up because you don't want to fight because you don't want to bre- like cause a breakup. But yeah. then like you should just like honestly, if you want to talk about something with your partner, you should just come out and say it because like they have these like you know Dane Cook said it best: nothing fights. Well, they just start fighting about stuff that they're not really, like, fighting. And, yeah. and she's like, oh, never mind. I just, I didn't mean to, like, do that. And you're like, no, girl, stand up for yourself. Because, like, if, you, if you're if you in a relationship where you can't, like, just fight about something, then it's not a good relationship. And also, like, she yeah. forgets her birthday. Yeah, and she picks, and she picks flowers for him on her birthday. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's like, I mean, she she's doing that thing where, like, I don't know. I She's like, oh, I didn't remind him. And Pele, like, draws her this beautiful picture of her. Okay, so right at this point, we got some really bad news that the writer of Stacy's mom from the band Fountains of Wayne had actually passed away due to COVID-19. And we kind of got derailed about talking about COVID-19 and just in an effort to make this a little bit shorter than like the original two or three hours we recorded, we um, are putting it on a separate bonus episode 
as well as like a getting to know you episode because of that. So anyways, here's the rest of the Midsummer conversation. And on that note, I actually got to get ready to go, Katie. I'm so sorry. Okay. Do you want to, can we like wrap it up real quick and just say what we, sorry to change the thing, uh, but Midsummer is a very good movie. Yes. Uh, you should definitely watch it. it. It, it, it is. Midsummer and Hereditary are one of those movies that I feel like horror movie fan, you you have to see them because they're going to be part of the cultural horror lexicon and you're going to hear them get brought up and if you're not if you're not in the know-how, you're going to miss out on a lot of really great conversations because of that. Um, and Ari Aster is on his way um, to becoming what I'm sure will be a legendary horror maker. So um, you've just got to gotta watch it, guys. They're wonderful movies. They are. They're very well made, and and surprisingly, I mean, they're the he picks a lot of female driven drama, and I think that's something we don't see a lot. I mean, I think we're seeing it more, but traditionally, a lot of women in horror movies kind of get a victim role, and they're a lot more dynamic in his movies, and that's very rare. And but he doesn't do it. I don't know. There's there's a fine line between. Uh, having a dynamic dynamic female role and just being like, oh, I just put a girl in this so I seem cooler. You know, I'm just, yeah. you know, a little SJW overkill. But this is very much earned and rewarded and it makes sense. And surprisingly, he's a guy. Like, uh, I mean, no offense to guys, but you don't always get guys that will put a woman in a, a lead role. And I mean, I think it is saying something that a man can direct a movie that is very positive, feminist. I don't even, I don't want to call it feminist, but like female driven, a very yeah. positive yeah. female driven movie. Like men can do that. You don't have to only have women direct other women and have a powerful female cast. Um, you know, we gotta, we gotta stick together. But yeah, on that note, we do have to go. Cause unfortunately we just got interrupted by, our technology stopping so it kind of took us longer to start recording than we thought it was going to so thanks for listening yes definitely i and that's the thing i was like are are they gonna listen to a three-hour podcast (laughs) probably not i'm probably gonna edit some of this I'm, i'm gonna try to edit it so some of it is a little more i'm gonna try to knock it down to an hour whether we have to do two parts or one part and i think Brittany, we'll probably try to record. I don't know what your schedule is, but if we can record another one next week or even two next week. Yeah. Because, you know, I want to release like three at a time because I know if people like this, I know what I do when I like a podcast or a YouTube channel. I binge watch them. So I'm going to try to wait until we have like three set up to actually put it out. But I want to do it so people can listen to it while they're at home in isolation because we might have all listened to our own podcasts. I know I've listened to pretty much every, my favorite murder that exists now. So I'm about to run out of podcast myself. So, oh um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've done some backlogging crime junkie. I've already listened. So I'm like, I, I need some, some new ones. So hopefully we will have some new ones for you. Thank you so much for watching. And make sure you see a good movie this week, okay? Yes, thank you so much. We look forward to uh, to seeing you guys again soon. Bye. You take care. Take care. <laughs>